Well, good morning, Eastview. How are we today? It's good to be with you all here this morning. Uh, Josh was just talking about how summer has flown by, and it makes sense because uh, camp season in student ministry is in full swing. Uh, Tomorrow morning, our junior high and high school uh, ministries will head off for five days, uh, worshiping Jesus with other junior high and high school students at our own CIY conferences. And I just want to share with you guys, tomorrow... Uh, we're going to load up 435 junior high and high school students and volunteers. Okay, this is awesome. Um, and I personally just want to give a big thank you to you guys, Eastview. Uh, one of the cool things that came out of the expanding ministry offering is we wanted to provide a way for families and for students to have a more affordable way to go to camp. And thanks to the offering that we took up and, and that you guys contributed to, We had an influx of students, uh, a higher attendance this year, and a high number of students, I mean a lot of students that have never been to camp before, that are now going to camp with us this year. Um, So, really exciting. Actually, uh, this is cool too. After this summer, we will have seen over 600 students and volunteers attend a camp with us this year. Uh, So, exciting stuff. All right, hopefully, I, I don't know, I think that's enough numbers, you guys don't have to clap every time. So, <laughs> uh, I will ask though, if, if you think of us this week, uh, would love some prayer. Uh, 435 students is a lot. Uh, and, and so, if I could just ask you guys to pray for a few things, I would just ask, number one, would you pray that hearts would be open to what the Holy Spirit will do this week? We, we just see God move in mighty ways when we, when we get away and we experience Jesus together with other junior high and high school students. Uh, number two, would you pray that we would be safe? Uh, there's a lot of students to keep track of. Uh, and also, if, if I can just ask, would you just pray that there would be little to no drama? It, <laughs> just, that would bless my heart a lot. It happens all the time. So, but if you could pray for that, that'd be great. God can do miracles, I believe it. Um, and then... Number three, if I could ask, would you just pray for life change? Uh, Would you pray for God to heal, to restore, and to raise up this next generation to be kingdom workers? Uh, That that is our hope and that is our prayer as we launch into this next week of what's just going to be a lot of fun and a lot of cool things that God will do. Well, uh, with camp, we all have our things uh, that you have to bring when you head, especially to a, a student camp or a week on a college campus, I I think about some of the things that our students or our volunteers will bring. I think of the the special pillow that you have to have, or for our students, sometimes it's the stuffed animal that they take everywhere, or or the the specific blanket that they're going to take with them. You know, for a lot of our adults, there's specific sleeping medication that they're going to need that week. The, uh, I I think of the giant suitcases that will be loaded up in the U-Haul tomorrow, that we're only going for a week, but it looks like people are packing for the rest of the year. Uh, and, and let me tell you, it's usually the adults that come with the giant suitcases. And then, and then you have like the junior high and high school boys, and they've got a big suitcase, but it's only got like a couple pairs of clothes in it, and the rest is just snacks. And that's what they're bringing with them. Um, well, if you were to find me on a student trip, uh, you will find that I will be carrying my stuff, my suitcase, my backpack, and stuff like that, but I will always have my box fan with me. I take my box fan everywhere I go. It is a staple for me. If, someone, if it means that someone's bag is not going to fit in the car, tough. I'm taking my box fan, okay? 
this thing is essential to me. And, and really, I, I, I kind of blame my parents because uh, I grew up with a box fan, and now I, I can't sleep without it. I literally cannot sleep without it. If, if it comes to a situation where I cannot bring my box fan with me, then I've got an app on my phone that plays a box fan sound app. Okay, it plays, it plays a sound, and it has to be the sound of a box fan. I've had students come up to me when I share about my box fan. They're like, you know, there's like sound machines. You can play rain and, and like a subtle storm in the background or like a rainforest. And I'm like, no, I need the box fan, the metal fan spinning around. I need that sound. And let me tell you, this box fan, it was clutch for me in college because when, when you're on a college campus and you're staying in a guy's dorm, like guys are up late yelling. And especially for me, I had these 6 a.m. basketball practices and I'd get back to the dorm and I want to nap until 11, you know, and guys are going crazy. And this box fan would drown out everything. It was just a glorious thing. And, and here's the thing. When I found the gloriousness that is the drowning sound of a box fan, I found that I cannot go without it. It's why on every student trip, I will bring it with me if I can. And it's why tomorrow morning, this box fan will be loaded up in U-Haul with my name on it, so no one takes it. It's mine. But here's the thing. When we find things that fulfill a need, it's hard to go back to anything else. All right, it's, it's why I think that like you're, the avid coffee drinkers in the room, like you reach this point where now you wake up and you have to have coffee. I find myself in this place where I still don't drink coffee and I count myself blessed because I don't need coffee in the morning to function. And some of you absolutely need it. You can't do anything else without it. And actually you're kind of seeing on social media too, there are these guys like that are filming these videos of like, here's something I didn't know until I was in my 30s or I was in my 40s and now this is what I have to do, these cool things that you see. But as I think about this, of things that we find in life that fulfill a need and now we can't go back to anything else, I kind of want to shift that to our relationship with Jesus. Have you found that in your relationship with him? Is a life in his kingdom, his grace so good that now there's literally nowhere else you would want to go except Jesus and what he has to offer you? And that's what we're going to find in the passage today. So if you want to go ahead and grab your Bibles, open up to John chapter 6. We're going to be starting in verse 48 today, if you want to flip open to that passage. And uh, Jesus, before this conversation we're going to get to today, what we're about to read, has just performed a couple of big miracles. Right before this, he met his disciples on the boat, walking on water. And if you were here with us last week, I, I just want to say, I was so blessed by Brent's words uh, last week that he shared with all of us uh, in, in, in terms of Jesus walking on the water and what that means uh, for us. And, and so that is the miracle that just happened that before this moment here in Scripture. And, and even before that, before Jesus walked on the water, he fed the 5,000. And the context of why this conversation happens today is in the context, is in the wake of the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus has fed the 5,000, and now crowds are, are kind of full-on stalking Jesus. They've got to find Jesus. They've got to get to him after he's performed this big miracle for them. So they go to the shore where he was supposed to be, where they knew he was meeting his disciples, and Jesus isn't there. And they're a little confused because they knew the disciples left without Jesus, but Jesus isn't there. So the crowds, they pile in their own boats, and they go ahead and head to where they knew Jesus and the disciples were going to next in Capernaum. And when they get there, 
the crowds go up to Jesus and they're like, when did you get here? And I think it's so funny because Jesus kind of blows past the question, probably because the walking on water piece of the explanation is going to take a little too long and maybe one miracle at a time for the crowds. But he says in verse 26 of John chapter 6, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. In other words, Jesus is saying, you're coming to me because you want more food. You want the perishable things that I can give you. So because of that, because the crowds were coming to him for more bread, Jesus goes into what's called the bread of life discourse. And Jesus gives his first I am statement. And that statement is, I am the bread of life. And as we read this, I kind of want us to have this idea in mind as Jesus talks to the crowds and to the disciples. And it's this, if Jesus is my satisfaction, then there's nowhere else I can go. If Jesus is my satisfaction, there's nowhere else I can go. Jesus in this passage will share that what he has to offer is not what they think they need, but instead something far more satisfying, far more eternal, what they actually need. So John chapter six, we're gonna pick up in verse 48. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living father sent me and I live because of the father. So whoever feeds on me, he will also live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. And Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. Now I want to go a little further and let's look at the response of how people respond to this teaching. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the son of man ascending to where he was before? It is the spirit who gives life, then the flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. And, and then we read this next verse, and, and I think this one's really sad. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus then turned to the twelve. Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And so Jesus answered them, did I not choose you the 12? And yet one of you is a devil. 
He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the 12, was going to betray him. So long, long passage here and a lot I want to get to, but I kind of see three different movements, three different parts of what Jesus is talking about here in this passage. And, and the first part kind of happens in verse 48 through 51, where Jesus talks about how I am the bread of life. And then we go into this next section in verses 52 through 59, where Jesus talks about what it means that he's the bread of life. And, and he talks about it, eating his flesh and drinking his blood. And, and we'll get to that in a second, but this was very confusing for the crowds and the disciples at the time. And then finally, in verses 60 through 71, we kind of get the response of the disciples. How do people respond to this message as Jesus and his flesh and blood being our satisfaction? And all of this, every part of this passage, I believe points to Jesus being my true satisfaction. That, that no matter the circumstance or the feelings that I have about what he's teaching or what's going on in my life, there's nowhere else I can go to find what I really need. And so there's kind of three things that I see Jesus proclaiming here and who he is. And the first thing is, is simple. This is what we're talking about here, that Jesus is the bread of life. And Jesus places this statement in the context of what the Jewish people would have known really well. Because back in the Old Testament, when the people of God had been freed from slavery in Egypt and they're wandering the wilderness, they get hungry. They're very hungry. They have nothing to eat. And so God sends them manna from the skies, bread from heaven. And, and Jesus, in knowing his, the will of his own father, shares really that the manna back in the Old Testament that, that God gave to his people was really pointing to the real bread of life that was coming from heaven. The real bread of life that was here for them. But this bread that Jesus is talking about, the bread of life, is not a type of bread that's just going to fix a hunger problem. No, Jesus is offering a different kind of sustenance. One that has not just temporary ramifications, temporarily fixing hunger. This is eternal ramifications. This is a much, much bigger deal that Jesus has been sent by God, God's initiative. Jesus is sent from heaven to offer not a little bit of reprieve from pain, but eternal life, eternal freedom. A life that Jesus is saying, if you choose to accept this, if you choose to believe in me, then you will find that there's nothing else in the world that is gonna satisfy. And so what Jesus gets to here is he says, you know, going back a little bit to verse 35 in John chapter six, he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus is saying that we as humans, we all know we need something. At our core, something is missing. And if you're in here today and you, and you don't believe that, that, that there's something missing, then I, I just want to offer that you check out anywhere in media, anywhere on, on, in commercials or on social media, out in the world, and you will find that everything is advertising you need something, right? You want to you feel good, you want to look good, you want to be good, then here's this, buy this. You want to be like this. Or, or do you need some fun? Do you need some happiness in your life? Do you need some peace of mind? Do you need some stability? Then take this, have this, be this. And Jesus's whole message here is this. The thing that you're looking for is not what you really need. Sure, it may help for a little bit, 
but it doesn't last for eternity. You think you need more food. Jesus is saying you need salvation from death. That's what you really need. And here's the thing, church. We too often settle for the temporary when there is eternity waiting just around the corner. We too often stop at the temporary things when there's eternity waiting around the corner. I I have a few examples here that I think play itself out. We would rather settle for a little bit more money in the bank account than a changed heart filled with generosity. We would rather settle for the instant high of a substance or a video than the ongoing peace of actually needing nothing else. We would rather settle for 10 minutes scrolling on my phone, which gives a brief reprieve from the chaos going around us, than maybe the 10 minutes in my Bible or with a friend or in prayer, which gives life. We would rather settle for living it up here on earth for however long, 75, 80 years, however long you live, than patiently enduring and waiting for an eternity with God forever. And and you see here in verse 49, Jesus is getting at this here with the temporary things. Jesus says in verse 49, your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, but what happened? They died. They died. I'm the bread that came down from heaven. If you eat it, you will live forever. Now, Jesus is saying, it's not like the manna isn't good. It's a gift from God, but it just isn't the thing we need most. But yet that's the thing we settle for. And it's, not, it's really not that hard to understand what Jesus is talking about here, but it is hard to understand when we understand that our nature is to want the manna over the bread of life. Our sinful nature, we want the manna because the manna is immediate. It's tangible. It's easy. The bread of life is slow. It isn't always tangible. It isn't always easy. I I think of Colossians 3, verse 2, and I, I think Paul's right here when he says, set your mind on things above. Because if you're focused on things of this earth, you're gonna get lost in the temporary and you're gonna always need something. So continuously set your mind on things above, not on things of this world. And I wanna acknowledge the difficulty of that because it does take faith to trust in things we cannot see. The things that we may not get to see on this side of heaven. But Jesus is talking about here, don't settle for the temporary, the perishable. I've got eternity for you if you would just believe in me. Now, how is this possible? Well, going into the next part, Jesus is the bread of life, but when he explains what that really means, he talks about his flesh and blood, and really what Jesus is getting at here is that I am this picture of communion. I'm this picture of communion, and Jesus goes into what will be one of the more confusing things he's talked about up until this point. And I would suggest probably one of the more confusing things up in, through, throughout his ministry he's gonna share with the crowds. You see, in the end of verse uh, 51, He says, and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. And the Jews, rightly so, are very confused (laughs) because they're like, this is weird. You want us to eat your flesh, right? And it's interesting because Jesus doubles down on the statement after these people are confused, going into detail 
about what eating his flesh and drinking his blood is. And I love this about Jesus because he doesn't go, oh wait, you're, you're uncomfortable? Let me take a step back. He says, no, I'm gonna make you more uncomfortable. And he goes into detail about how his flesh and his blood are going to reap eternal life. And we read this passage and we have to think about this, that we're standing amidst the big picture. We know how this all plays out. And so we read this passage and for a lot of us, we know that Jesus is clearly pointing to his atoning death on the cross. That would be his body and his blood that would be the saving sacrifice that makes eternity with God possible for us. That's why Jesus is talking about how he's the bread of life. And if you eat the bread, you will experience eternity. You will live forever because we know that because of the cross, his body and blood, that is possible. Jesus will eventually clear this up with the disciples at the last supper at the table. And a lot of you guys know this passage, but I want to read this. He says, now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take and eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. So Jesus does explain this at the Last Supper, right? But, but in the moment, I get it, this is weird. This is really weird. This is really strange from Jesus. And at this point, the disciples and the crowds don't know how this is all going to play out. But the truth is, this isn't new for this passage to be taken as literally as it is. In fact, back in these times, a lot of people would call Christians cannibals. Because, wait, you're eating his flesh and drinking his blood? Christianity is about cannibalism, right? But that's not it. What, what we know to be true about Jesus and what I want to share with you now is that Jesus often used visible, physical items to explain invisible spiritual realities. This was how Jesus taught often. And actually, this isn't the first time that someone didn't understand Jesus's figurative teaching. You know, some of these things that I want to give as examples are things that we've already talked about here in this room before. When Jesus talks to Nicodemus, he says, you must be born again. And Nicodemus is like, I don't think I can go back into my mother. (laughs) right? And then not long after that, Jesus has this conversation with the Samaritan woman that says, I have this living water to offer you. And she's like, oh, let me drink it. He's like, no, that's not what I'm saying. And and then here, Jesus is talking about his flesh and his blood, and now the Jews are freaked out. But what Jesus is talking about, this picture is pointing to Jesus as communion because of his body and his blood given for you on the cross He offers two things with eternal ramifications. Number one, his body and his blood mean salvation and eternal life and resurrection. If you look in verse 54, he says, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. I wanna offer for those of you in the room that he offers resurrection and that is what you need. Do you need resurrection today? That is what Jesus has to offer you. The second thing he has to offer, I see in verse 56, he says, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. The eternal ramifications here are now we have this fellowship with the father and the son. And my question for you today is, do you need 
access to your creator today, to the one who loves you deeply. These are eternal things. These are not temporary things. Eternal life, resurrection, and fellowship with the Father and Son. It's the satisfaction we talked about in the very beginning, that the need that we really have, the need that we really need, is rescue from life, or rescue and life from death. And that's found in Jesus' death on the cross. And the thing that we really need is connection and relationship, and that's found in closeness with God. And so this is what Jesus is getting at here. And, and the truth is, we might see this in hindsight, but this doesn't mean that this passage that Jesus is talking about here, it wasn't confusing in the moment. If you look at verse 60, it says this, the disciples say, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? This is, wait, this is tough. How am I listening? How can I hear this? I don't know if I can listen to this. And the truth is, there are things that are confusing and difficult to understand when it comes to what the Bible teaches or what Jesus commands our lives to look like. I, I think about the Bible's teaching on loving your enemies and praying for those who persecute you. That's a hard thing to understand especially those of us that have been deeply wounded by someone. Wait, I have to pray for them? I, I also think in the passage of, of some moments that were big stumbling blocks, I think of Jesus's message to the rich man to sell everything and follow him or his message to the man that said, hey, can I just go bury my father? And he's like, no, let, let the dead bury the dead. Come and follow me right now. That's hard to understand. The truth of the matter is because of our surrounding culture today, a big stumbling block, a big thing that's been difficult, especially for the younger generation, is the biblical sexual ethic. That any form of sex or lust outside of a heterosexual marriage, it's, it's wrong. That's hard to understand for people. And then I think about that there's this promise that God loves the world and then you look at the world and there's evil and sin and suffering. And it's not new in the Bible where something is difficult to understand, difficult to comprehend, maybe difficult to follow. But I want to still suggest this, and, and you might know this, but I, I feel like I have to share this, that just because something is difficult to understand does not mean it isn't true. And sometimes the things that Jesus teaches, the things that the Bible commands of our lives are difficult to understand, but they're true because this is the ultimate authority. Jesus is our ultimate authority. And the truth is, this discourse Jesus gives was tough. It was a serious claim that required full belief that Jesus was the Son of God and he was speaking truth. And in verse 66, you see the sad reality. After this, many of his disciples turned back and they no longer walked with him. The sad truth is, for what seems like a lot today, when faith doesn't make sense or when faith is confusing or when faith is difficult, the option is not always to remain faithful to the Lordship of Jesus. And I want to suggest that when we approach faith and, and faith is difficult to understand or we're struggling or we're wrestling with difficult things, there's three options that we have when faith doesn't make sense, when faith is hard. First option is we can ignore it. And, and this is where you'll often find the pick and choose type response to this. I like this about what Jesus says. I don't like this. So I'm going to ignore this and I'm just going to follow this. And guess what, guys? This is not new today. 
Some of us think that this generation is going downhill because everyone's just picking and choosing what to believe. But if you look at this passage, people pick and chose what Jesus said. And here's the thing. When when I think of our response to this, I don't think ignoring what the Bible says or what Jesus teaches when it's hard is a helpful option. Number one, because if Jesus is Lord, then every word he says demands our obedience, whether I like it or not. And the truth is, when life brings up real foundation-shaking questions, if you haven't wrestled with the difficult things that Jesus teaches, if you haven't walked through the fire and stuck with Jesus, then we can experience faith crisis if we just ignore it. Now, the second option is, is when faith is hard, when faith doesn't make sense, when we struggle through life and following Jesus, we could just run from it. And, and, and we find today a number of Christians going through this process of deconstruction, where because of a life circumstance or because of a thing the Bible teaches that doesn't make sense with what they've known to be true about God, they're going to change what they believe. And instead of seek to find out how this fits into the correct view of God, I'm either going to change my view of God or I'm just going to be done. I'll do my own thing, maybe not believe at all. And, and church, as, as the high school pastor here and to communicate to you guys, I just want to suggest this. I believe this group that wants to run from faith needs more grace from us. Because for human beings, not all of this is black and white. It's sometimes really hard to understand. Can we be a place where people struggling with faith can come and ask the hard questions? Can this be a place where I find that the best option would be to wrestle with God, to wrestle with these things? And I will say, running away from the problem, running away from things when when faith is hard, I don't think that's a good option either. Because when we run, when things get hard, it means we're going to miss out on what Jesus ultimately came to do, which is to save, to save you. So don't run, don't ignore. I believe the best option when things are hard, when things are confusing is to wrestle. And I think this is the best option. When faith gets confusing, to have a place where you can go and wrestle with God and ask the hard questions to be able to balance both not fully understanding God's will, but also trusting he is good. Here's what I want to offer. As we go through life and we struggle with faith and we, and we wrestle with hard things, and is Jesus really the bread of life? And is he my full satisfaction even in the hard times? When faith gets hard, will I walk away or will I step in and will I wrestle with God? I, I think of no better example than a story found in the Old Testament of a guy named Jacob. You know the story of Jacob wrestling with God? It says this, and Jacob was left alone. And a man, a man we believe to be God, wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And then he said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel. For you've striven with God and with men and have prevailed. There are a few things I really love about Jacob's response. The first thing is he wrestled with God. 
He didn't walk away. He didn't ignore God and pretend he didn't have a problem with being left alone or that the promise of blessing hadn't happened for Jacob yet. He didn't just ignore it. He didn't just walk away. He wrestled with God. I also love this passage because Jacob had a non-negotiable. Even though this is hard, even though this doesn't make sense, even though, God, I don't think you're doing what you said, I will not let you go. No matter what. And then finally, I love what God says to Jacob at the very end there. Because Jacob wrestled with God and with men, he was blessed. And I believe, I just believe that that there is blessing that comes from asking the hard questions, from not bailing, from not ignoring. It doesn't mean it isn't hard. Jacob is now going to go the rest of his life with a limp. But his life now has a promise of blessing for eternity. I'll take the limp if it means eternity. It's the same idea as before. Do not settle for the temporary when eternity is waiting just around the corner. I tell our our high school students this all the time. Hey guys, this is a place where you can ask the hard questions because God is not shying away from them. And because God is not afraid of your hard questions, neither will we be. This can be a place where you ask the hard questions. And what I found with Jesus that, that he is the bread of life, that he is this picture of communion All of this kind of stems back to Jesus being my true satisfaction. And so what I think Jesus is talking about here and what I believe we find in this passage is this, that Jesus is my only option. He's my only option. And and my favorite part of the whole passage is the response of Peter and the 12 disciples. In verse 67, Jesus asked them, all right, after these guys have left, do you guys want to go away as well? And Peter answers in just a brilliant faith statement. Lord, where are we going to (laughs) go? To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we've believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Church, I want us to continue to ask this in the hard times. Lord, to whom shall I go? Peter's asking, what's what's our other option? (laughs) We could bail like everyone else, but then what? There's no eternal life with that option. There's no relationship with the Son of God with that option. So you know what? I'll deal with the tough teaching. I'll deal with the things that don't super make sense. I'll deal with the hard questions, or maybe I'll deal with the things I don't like. Because there's no better option than the one that's standing right in front of us. In fact, it isn't just that there's no better option. Jesus here in front of us, he's the only option. Because you'll see in John 14, verse 6, Jesus will say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And church, that is my prayer for us as Christ followers, that in the most difficult times, when faith doesn't make sense, when persecution comes, when life is hard, to ask the question, where else can I go? Because the truth is, I could ignore the commands or the promises of the Lord. But a faith that ignores the promises of God, I promise you, is not a solid foundation. And I could run away. But if I run away, that inherently means I'm running to something else. And the satisfaction of the world will leave you wanting because it isn't based in eternity. Or I can lean in in the middle of the mess in the confusing, 
and the frustrating, and I can wrestle with God, and I can wrestle through the hard questions, knowing that the eternal promises of God, that the bread of life never changes, that eternity is a promise that I have. If Jesus is my satisfaction, he satisfies my deepest desires, then there is nowhere else I can go. I was reading through uh, the Psalms this week, and I, I came across this passage that I think just speaks to the longing that we have, the satisfaction that we want. And it's Psalm 42, one through two, and it says, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. I found this week in studying this passage, just personally, that my satisfaction is too much in the manna. It's too much in the temporary. And it's not to say that they aren't good things that God has given me. I think about things that I find my satisfaction in, my job, my wife, my home, my friends, funny videos on social media, TV shows. They're all good things. And I could go on and on and on. And yet, here is the Savior of the world offering me the kingdom of heaven right here, right now, through his body and his blood. A sacrifice that if I find my complete satisfaction in, my only satisfaction in, will reap eternity in my heart even now. And so I, I read this passage from Psalms and I, I feel like I kind of started salivating because the world has its good things, but Jesus is so much better. I want eternity. I want that. I want eternity with God. And, and so church, may we all take this week to pause and think, where is my satisfaction? Is it in manna? Or is it in the bread of life? It is, is it in the temporary? Or is it in the eternal body and blood of Jesus, which, which saves me from my sin, saved my life, and brings me into glorious light? Praise God for his body and his blood shed for me that I may have eternal life. Let me pray. God, in the midst of the hard and the mess and the confusing your satisfaction never changes. And so God, I pray for us as a church body that we would run to you for our complete satisfaction, not run to the world, not run away from the hard things, not ignore the commands and the promises of the Lord, but to wrestle. And God, may we be like Jacob that won't let go because we know the blessing that we need is the thing that you have to offer. And so God, as we, as we go through life, as we struggle, as we face hard circumstances, God, may we continue to run back to you, our true satisfaction. It's through your body and your blood that we are wiped clean and promise eternity forever with you. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen.